Courtney and I have never met in person. Instead, we've connected through virtual meetings. We quickly realized that Betty and I enjoy brainstorming together about ministry, faith, and life, and that we have a lot to learn from one another. A virtual time together has felt similar to sitting down with a friend over a cup of coffee, something that feels so foreign since the start of the pandemic. We found ourselves talking about life, theology, and asking all the big questions without ever having to leave with any answers. So we decided to turn this cup of coffee experience into a podcast. We're building a platform that invites others to ask the big questions we don't always feel comfortable asking. We'll use wonder as a tool to dig us out of these questions and help us reimagine our ways of doing ministry. So grab a cup of coffee or beverage of your choice. We'll let wonder percolate together. Hi friends, um, it's Betty and Court again. Welcome to uh, the conversation. Um, I was able to grab coffee this morning. Um, today I added some condensed milk to my coffee, um, Vietnamese style. So Court, do you have something you're drinking today? I am also drinking my coffee. Um, I, I do pour overs each morning. So I have a nice little meditation of boiling the water and preparing the grounds and then sitting there and hand pouring the water over it. Um, I don't have condensed milk in my coffee. Mine's just black, but I want to try your coffee. That sounds, oh, yeah. that sounds delicious. <laughs> I'm coming over to your that's house. Right. That's a, that's a Vietnamese style to have a condensed milk. Sometimes there's an egg, but I haven't had that in a while. So uh, maybe I should try that again and let you know how it is. But um, so both of us have our coffees and uh, we are percolating together. Uh, we're kind of continuing the conversation from last time. Um, last time we briefly touched on and Court, I'm gonna um, ask you to kind of start out our conversation um, around loving um, your neighbor as yourself and how maybe we are not sure how to do that well and I know you had mentioned that our bishop, Bishop Karen Alavito, has really um, left some impressions and, and thoughts for you around this. And so, yeah, you want to share a little bit about um, what you've been thinking and what's percolating on your mind? Sure thing. So... Yeah, I think it was in our last episode that we did. Um, my memory serves me right, which sometimes it does not. Um, we briefly touched on this idea of what it means to love, yeah, love your neighbor as yourself, um, which comes from the scripture, Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40. Uh, this is when, uh, oh, is this Jesus talking? This is Jesus talking, right? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Testing, yes. <laughs> testing my Bible knowledge. So somebody, a disciple, whoever, um, I didn't do a whole lot of research before this, obviously, is asking Jesus, uh, teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? And Jesus says to this person, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. 
So we always turn to uh, this commandment as kind of like the golden rule, right? Um, And it makes sense, right? Like do unto others as you would want done unto you. And Betty and I were chatting before recording this episode to kind of flesh out some of our thoughts and something we talked about um, and something I kind of understand and have really like spent a lot of time reflecting on is we don't really know what it means to love our neighbor as ourself. Um, And as Betty alluded to as well, a lot of my thinking and reflection on this stems from Bishop Karen Olivetto um, about, you know, what, like, what does it truly mean to love ourselves? And in conversations and kind of reflections and things that I've heard Bishop Karen give, we, when she talks about like this idea of like loving our neighbor as ourselves, and especially like to love ourselves, um, she kind of notes that again, like we don't know what that looks like. Like we're not really the best at loving ourselves. And I feel like I'm just kind of repeating myself over and over again. Um, But what I'm hoping that we can talk about today is kind of fleshing out, like, what does that mean? What does it look like to actually love ourselves so that we can love our neighbor in the same way? And how do we, at least maybe for Betty and I, and maybe for listeners as well, how do each of us define what that love is and what it means? And then even what hate is and hate might be. Um, Yeah, so I think the conversation is going to take off from there, and I don't want to get too far into uh, my percolating thoughts here. Um, So, yeah, I think that's where we'll start, and I'll I'll toss it back to you, Betty. Uh, What what kind of thoughts and things are coming up for you um, as we yeah touch on this? So I think that at least in my work and ministry around anti-racism and um, inclusion, diversity, equity, you know, talking about implicit bias and things like that. Often, um, when I ask, like, how is our faith grounding us in this work, right? And, And often the answer is this verse, like, this is easy, right? Like, people say, this should be easy. Love your neighbor as yourself. But it isn't easy, right? I mean, if it was easy, we would be doing a much better job at um, dismantling, you know, systems and uh, within our church and within our communities. And so, um, so we say it as though it's easy. We say it as though like it's obvious, right? Um, but I, I agree with you. It's kind of like, huh? Wow, it's it's the foundation of our faith. It's what, um, at least for me, one of those verses that helps me stay grounded in, in this work. But yet somehow um, we're we're missing the mark, and myself included. You know, having to kind of think about what does this mean? How how am I missing the mark? And um, so I've been thinking a lot about what does loving myself really look like, so I can love my neighbor well. Um, and so I think of a few things and maybe we can talk about, you know, however bits and pieces of it that you'd like, but there's these kind of like more, um, you know, conversation about self-love. Um, one thing that comes to me as a person who struggled with my weight and height, my height, I can't do anything about, but like my weight, you know, is like, um, you know, body positivity, that's like one piece, like, you know, hey, I'm short, then that's okay. Or like, you know, loving the skin that I'm in, right. And so that's one piece. And 
um, so there's like loving self that I can 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 then also see the beauty of diversity of body shapes and sizes and other people as well, right? But then there's also other things like, do I offer myself grace so that I can be less judgmental of other people, right? Grace and you know, and then and then in my work, as I'm learning more about you know, intercultural competency, then it's like, who, do we appreciate our culture, our values, who we are, so that we can welcome and, and be curious and accept and celebrate the diversity, the values and the cultures of others. And if we don't do that well, then it becomes, a, becomes an us and them mentality. Then it's that um, kind of piece of pie like that we have to defend, right? Because, oh, if we celebrate that, that other person's values, culture, beauty, then somehow mine is threatened. And that's where I find ourselves around, you know, um, anti-racism where it's like, oh, if we um, somehow white culture or white dominant culture is threatened, right? And so now it's like, um, kind of where we're at in our nation. And so how do we, able to embrace who we are fully as individuals, as cultures, as people, so that we can open ourselves to appreciate and love and embrace and be hospitable um, and include and share power with others. So I think the conversation of, you know, when we celebrate or love or make room for um, cultures, ideas, identities, theologies, you name it, that are not reflective of the dominant culture. I think there is this thought that, and I think it is a reflection of like this scarcity mindset that I think that our culture um, and country is very much in. Uh, I think we operate from a place of scarcity. I think that's a side effect of um, admittedly like the capitalist system that we're in, right? Um, but when we operate from this, and I like, there's this fear that if we make room for and celebrate all these things that are not reflective of dominant culture, which in our world is white, cisgender, straight, uh, non-disabled, uh, male, like whatever, Christian even, um, there's this thought that there won't be room for the dominant culture, right? Um, and there's there's fear that there won't be room for that dominant culture. And I think that that's an important acknowledgement because I think that while that stems from like this place of like scarcity, I think it also might stem from this thought that, or recognition that the dominant culture has not been kind to all of the things that are not a part of the dominant culture. And so I think that there's also this fear and like deep rooted recognition of like the dominant culture has done wrong. And so those that are not of the dominant culture are going to use the same tools and then we too will be oppressed, which is interesting and feels very like awkward and maybe backwards or however you want to put it. But I think that it like, yeah, again, I think that it reflects that there is like this great need of like recognizing like there is 
like we don't need to operate from scarcity, right? Like there is plenty of room and space for all of us. And when we engage in these conversations of, um, you know, those with people on the margins, those who are come from marginalized identities, um, when we operate, or I believe this too, like when we operate from a place that automatically like includes or takes into consideration the most marginalized, we are going to take care of everybody in the end. And so this idea of like, you know, love your neighbor as yourself, um, from my experience and my place of that, like I want to create, like to love myself is to create opportunity for thriving um, and to love my neighbor as myself is to create opportunities for my neighbor to also thrive, right? And so what does it mean to create that thriving um, and recognize that it is like true thriving? And so one way that I like do this and I always like, I have mixed uh, feelings and thoughts about like the fruits of the spirit. Cause I think sometimes when we talk about the fruits of the spirit, there is room for like some theological manipulation in there as well. Um, and again, comes back to, you know, how do we define all of these things? But if I, you know, for myself, if I want to experience the fruits of the spirit, so love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, I want my neighbor to also have that. And so, um, you know, I think going back to like my experiences and things like that, you know, what does my thriving look like? Am I experiencing love? Like, am I experiencing joy and peace and all these things? Um, but then to question, you know, how do I know if my neighbor is, I think requires a great deal of conversation and like listening to each other uh, to try to understand um, what each of us is going through. It makes me think about, thanks for sharing that. And it makes me think about um, how, how loving neighbor becomes manipulative if we don't spend time to get to know each other and hear deeply from each other. Because my, and I think I'm thinking right now as a parent, for example, like how I experience joy I may impose that on my children, for example, like surely you have to eat this to experience deliciousness and I love you. So eat this. And my children's like, no, it does not taste good to me at all. So you, my, my joy is not their joy. And out of love, quote unquote, you know, I am imposing this. So that's just a kind of very you know, silly or um, simple way. But, you know, as you were talking, it made me think about that, that we getting to know each other, hear each other deeply, that hopefully we can support each other and thrive in instead of imposing on each other. And I think that's where love becomes manipulative and causes harm, right? And before when we were um, prepping for our conversation today, you were talking around conversion therapy and things like that, that I think is an expression of that. Oh, I love you. So do this when actually is causing harm, right? And this is not, that's an example when we're not loving our neighbor well. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I was gonna bring it up anyway. And so, 
coming back to that like manipulative love as we've kind of been discussing um and i really appreciate the example of like with your kids right um you know i love this like this this food this whatever like makes me feel joy um and i want you to also experience that joy but if you're not listening as a parent and your kids like hey like i really like no i i don't like this this does not make me feel joy um to me this is gross like it's just got like whatever um not my flavor which is okay um again yeah coming back to like you're not gonna know that unless like you actually like listen to your kid right and um i'm sure we could probably get into like where there are times maybe and i'm not a parent again i know we've talked about that before but maybe there are times where in parenting um where like you're like the child's like boy should always be centered but then there might be a time where it's like okay but like the parent might actually know best in this situation like i'm not gonna let you go do something dangerous that is going to get you hurt um, or anything like that because I love you. And as a parent, I just have a little bit more knowledge than you. And so I need you to trust me this time. Um, so I'm like, there's always hard lines to draw, right? Um, and again, I think that comes from like another conversation of um, kind of that like listening and hopefully like, I mean, kids are all ages, like still pretty like in tune to a lot of things I feel. Um, and so I hope a kid at some point would understand, but that's a whole other, like, I feel like side conversation and topic. Um, back to this kind of like manipulative love and kind of maybe in that same vein of talking about like conversion therapy. So oftentimes when uh, queer folk um, come out there, like depending on like the family or the context that they're in, there is a risk that um, people will want to change them. And there's kind of that phrase, you know, like pray the gay away. Um, I've heard plenty of stories of, people coming out to their parents and then uh the next day or later that week they're in a meeting with their pastor and having this conversation about you know like this is like these feelings are um you know they're like they're sin or like they're the devil or whatever it's like a demon inside you and um so some very like strong language about what this person is experiencing and planning it as this is something that we can change, like we can convert you, we can um, work on these behaviors and these emotions and like, so you can control them, right? So you can have better self-control even. And there's conversations in these communities and um, on both sides of the spectrum. Um, so for those who are trying to like push conversion therapy and who are for it, you have conversations with like, these parents, um, these pastors, like these leaders, there is, especially parents, um, there's this, you know, like, if they have been given a theology that has allowed them to think that there's something about their child's soul or spirit that is in danger. Um, and because they love their child, um, their family member so much, they want them, right, to be able to go to heaven. They don't want to have to worry about their soul or about their spirit. Um, and so because they love them, they want to do whatever it takes to make sure that they too have like the ticket to heaven. And so that love looks, is like very damaging in the end, right? When we go through conversion therapy and we look at statistics of just like rates of depression and anxiety and, um, especially suicide in those who have gone, uh, through conversion therapy. And so from one perspective, here's like a parent who loves their child very much um, and again is trying it like thinks that they are doing what is best for them right but for me if I come back to this idea of the fruits of the spirit and whether or not that truly like provides joy and peace like etc 
if we look at statistics um, of again, like mental health and suicide uh, attempts, there's like, it it's not, it doesn't line up, right? Um, and theologically, I know we try to spin that um, or in these communities, it's tried to, tries to be spun as like, well, like the devil one in this case, but in reality, it's this person is suffering um, and we're seeing that through through these conversations, through these experiences, through like these stories. And so we're only gonna know that, again, coming from that place of love and listening, we're only gonna know that if we sit down and talk to that person um, and really listen and not like listen to say, okay, well, I hear you, but like, I still think that this is best for you. Um, yeah, and so coming back to that, thinking of like loving thyself, love your neighbor, I think all of us strive to want to be heard, um, to want to feel like our voice matters, um, to feel like we're like worthy of being loved and even just like showing up as ourselves in this world. But we can't, I mean, we can do that. We can do that for ourselves, right? Like we can sit with ourselves. We can do a lot of introspection. Um, we can work on finding our voice. Um, and I know Betty, you talked about that before we popped on to record this too. Um, and so I'll let you uh, dive more into that piece of it. Um, but in order, like if we want to be heard and feel heard, we have to also be working to hear others. And then in that case, hopefully that like to me is love to like truly listen to someone and say like, I hear you, I see you. And this is clearly causing harm to you because you're telling me that. So what does it look like to believe somebody and instead love them in that way um and trust that they know what it is that they need um to experience these fruits of the spirit or whatever you want to call it mm -hmm. yeah i'm just thinking i'm just a lot you know just as on my mind and thinking and um taking in everything that you've shared um i was thinking about and I, I believe we've talked about this, whether on the podcast or, or outside of it, but this takes practice. And you were talking about me and finding my voice and like that takes practice. I'm still practicing. I've been reflecting a little bit. I'm going to be 40 <laughs> the end of this year. <laughs> oh my gosh. And that doesn't scare me. But what I've been thinking about is as I get older, there's this dynamic of feeling co more comfortable with who I am, but also not at the same time because of this practice of finding my voice um, and being able to articulate and show up and take space. And what does that mean, right? And so, so part of loving myself is being able to practice and discern and be in spaces where I can do that is finding my voice whether, you know, literally or, or otherwise, right? I mean, um, being comfortable with, with uh, or, or, or unapologetically be who I am and speak out of my own convictions. And, um, but knowing that that's a journey for me because I'm still learning and still formulating and still understand, hopefully understanding more deeply um, and so, um, so I, I, I want to find room for that for myself, 
And I hope I can offer that for others. I guess so that's what I mean. You know, you were talking about taking time to listen deeply, to hear each from each other um, is part of this loving yourself and loving others. Um, so I, I feel like I long for that place, that space to practice. And hopefully I can offer that same hospitality for others as well, as we're all, you know, learning to love ourselves better, to love others better. I feel like it's a journey. I say that a lot in my work. And as I talk to churches and, and especially with our laity, like this work, anti-racism work, inclusion work, diversity, you know, all of that is a journey. And so I do long for that space of practicing. And you, you mentioned the fruit of the spirit. I'm so grateful for that because that's another instance where I feel like we, when we're in community, then we we're able to practice. If we're not in community, we can't practice the fruit of the spirit, you know, and, and ask God's spirit to help us and guide us. And, um, and so, yeah, how do, how do I learn to love myself better? So I, and so I can be hospitable to welcome others on that journey too. And, and yeah. Your mention of being in community um, to experience some of those fruits uh, sparked for me this question of what does it mean to you to feel loved by your neighbor? So I think we definitely touched on a little bit about like what self-love can kind of look like. Um, so yeah, now I'm going to drop this big question. Yeah. What is it, what does it mean for you to feel loved by your neighbor, to feel loved in community? Court, that's such a great question. Do you want to go first? Absolutely not. That's why I asked it. <laughs> oh, I'm so grateful, but I'm also like, because uh, I don't have, I don't know if I can say it eloquently enough, but oh man, I might cry thinking about it. I'm just crying thinking about it or getting teary eyed just thinking about it. Oh, I don't know. I feel like a lot of my life is, is projecting something that I feel people expect of me, right? And so, so I found pockets of time that I can be fully who I am, but, and not that I'm, not that I feel like I'm, I'm, you know, uh, walking through life, uh, uh, you know, faking it in the sense like I, I authenticity is very important to me, um, in my ministry and my life. And I, but at the same time, um, I do wonder, you know, how I'm showing up. Is it influenced by what the pressure of what is expected of me or, um, or I always, I think I was raised being very fearful of how people judge me. And so that informs how I carry myself. And so I think that there are parts of me that I think I haven't been able to show up. And I wonder what it would look like. And it's the silly things. Like, I think that there's a funny side of me that I haven't really tapped into. Or there's an adventurous side of me that I haven't been able to tap into. There is a bold side of me that I don't know if I've been able to tap into. And so what would it be for me to discover a community where I can, you know, practice those things, you know? What things do you think would need to be in place uh, for that community, in that community, for you to feel like you could show up in that 
humorous mm -hmm. side and that bold side and that mm -hmm. adventurous side. Okay, as I'm thinking, you better be thinking too, because you know you're gonna have to answer. <laughs> oh, we might just be out of time for that. So. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, we talked about time, and I have you know people in my life life who I feel like I feel like I can totally journey with family members and friends, but time maybe time is one of those things too. Um. I talked to someone years ago, one of our colleagues, and she said, I'm so grateful because my husband and I have this support, this friend was saying, have this support system where we can each like get a, a 24 hours away to just decompress because they have children and ministry and all these, you know, things. And so, but she said, it takes me 24 hours even to just get to that place of being able to unwind, right? It takes a whole day to fully unwind. And I think when I think about to find the fun side of Betty, the adventurous side of Betty, it's going to take time for me to, to, to live into that. And I don't know if I've carved out time. And that may be just me. That and be, maybe because I'm afraid to find out what I will discover, right? Like maybe now this is like a totally different rabbit trail court, but I always envision myself like totally like having a great time at a karaoke bar, like I'm singing my heart out and dancing, you know, until I can't dance anymore. But when I'm at a karaoke bar, this is of course pre-pandemic, I don't sing because it takes like time to begin to sing. What do I need? Maybe time. Fully loving self takes time to discover. As far as like community goes, it sounds like for you having a community that that allows you that time or like, like sits, like helps provide that time or like sits in that time with you. Yeah. It sounds like to me, like even just like having a community that like honors, honors that time for you and is patient with you would be beneficial. How about you? Have you, have, do you have, a, have any thoughts to the question you posed? I think for me, in terms of thinking, you know, like what, what do I need to feel in a community to feel loved? Um, something I think that I often struggle with is feeling as though I am perceived only for like my queerness, um, because I do a lot of work for education and advocacy for LGBTQ folks. Um, I feel as though my pronouns, if I share them, um, that totally depends on the space that I'm in, if I feel safe and comfortable to do so. But when I share my pronouns, I feel like I immediately out myself. Yeah. And so sometimes I feel as though I'm only like seen and perceived as like, oh, like here's Courtney, like always like doing like the queer thing. Um, and I like very involved in the queer community. Like I do drag, I do a lot of things that are very like staple, like the gay agenda or um, what people assume to be the gay agenda. And so I think for me, having like this space to really like, to just like be seen as Courtney um, is really important to me. Um, to not be, just be like recognized as like this person who always brings up queer things because it's quite literally my job to do so. Um, like I get paid to do that. <laughs> not like I feel like I need to do it outside of my job. And so I think that's a big one is just like being seen past um, who I am as like a queer and a trans non-binary person and just having that being allowed to 
express who I am underneath these important to me, although like arbitrary labels at the end of the day. Mm, I want to know what are some of those things now? Like I just said that, you know, karaoke is like my one thing I see myself doing. Um, does anything come to mind that you'd like to share that is part of Brittany? Um, so I actually had like, you mentioned something about like not having hobbies and needing to find one. Uh, I don't yeah. think, yeah, I don't think anyone like needs to have a hobby, but I remember when the pandemic first started, I was talking to my partner and I was like, what do I, what do I like to do as mm. like a hobby? And she looked at me and she's like, well, you play guitar. And like, yeah, I used to run a lot. She's like, you used to like, you would you run and do these things. And I like, remember having like an existential crisis about it, <laughs> about like things that I like to do. But so I kind of like put me down, like thinking, you know, like, what are these things that I've always wanted to do and learn? Um, so I paint, um, I'm not a great oh. painter. I picked up watercolor painting. I draw, um, yeah, I, I like to draw manga. I really like watching animes, um, and things like that. Um, yeah. cautiously like engaging with things like that. I, I don't know. I like to think that I create spaces for like joy to happen. I like being yeah. goofy and silly. Um, Betty, I'd love to go to a karaoke bar with you. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. Thanks. Thanks for the vulnerability. Thanks for always asking such great questions. And um, our, our friends who are listening in are, got a little glimpse of us, uh, probably more than they expected coming into this uh, conversation. Um, but, I, you know, as I think about ministry and community, um, yeah, that question of what does loving our neighbors as ourselves, I think is important for us to consider as uh, community leaders, as religious leaders, as uh, members of congregations within our communities. Um, making disciples of Jesus Christ is, uh, you know, uh, part of uh, our United Methodist identity. Um, and so discipleship is practice, right? Discipleship, uh, I think, hints at um, being with one another and uh, growing <laughs> with one another. Um, and so, yeah, hopefully we keep this commandment uh, close to our hearts and evaluate it deeply. I think my like lingering, lingering thought or question to our listeners is just to go out and think about like, what does it mean for you to feel loved by your neighbor? And um, what does loving yourself uh, truly mean? And yeah, how do you, how do you choose to live that out? Mm. So let that percolate. Thanks everyone. Be sure to like, uh, rate, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and join the conversation. You can do that by finding us on Facebook at Percolating Wonder, and we would love to hear your thoughts and, yeah, love to have your voice.
Thank you for listening to Percolating Wonder. Be sure to like and subscribe or follow us depending on what podcast platform you're listening on. If you're tuning in on Apple Podcasts, be sure to leave us a rating and a review. And remember, tell your friends.